This is UI Therapy, Episode 3. Cue the music. Welcome to the UI Therapy Podcast. My name is Jake Hopking, and I'm a user interface design and development expert, online user experience consultant, digital product designer, and I'm also a keen photographer and complete coffee addict. Each week, you're going to learn actionable strategies, mindsets, tips, and tricks that will help you take the guesswork and confusion out of designing and building beautiful and intuitive user interfaces. This podcast is your secret weapon in cutting through the paralysis of tooling, framework, and methodology analysis. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Today we're talking to Fred K. Schott, who is the CEO and founder of Pika, which is a, a suite of tools that are focused on bringing packages and JavaScript tooling into the modern age using latest feature set from the language so things like ESM which if you don't know what that is at the moment then by the end of this show you will have a deep understanding of what that is and why it's so awesome we talk quite a lot about his new inverted quotes bundler called snowpack which is a game changer really in terms of development and the tooling necessary and the config necessary to get yourself up and running before you move into the main interview itself I've left a couple of minutes in at the beginning, which were our initial chat on Zoom. And I think it introduces Fred nicely and also a little bit about why I'm creating UI therapy in a much more succinct way compared to my awkward first episode. Also, a note on the quality of Fred's mic at the beginning. Um, it's from Zoom, but then as a transition to the main episode, we get the um, high quality microphone recording so yeah please put your phone in your pocket and do whatever you're going to do and enjoy this really really good episode with fred because he has a lot of passion about making the web better and faster and more friendly for everyone including newcomers so without further ado here's my conversation with fred hello hey jake how's it going going well how are you yeah yeah good thanks um, bit oh tired, bit tired of a long day with a baby, but uh, I'm okay. Yes, right. You've had your full Friday. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to a glass of wine after this one. <laughs> well, good, good on you for doing this. You know, end of the day. Oh no, um, thank you so much on for coming. On a Friday out. of all of all days. No, thank you for your time. It's really, really good, really good of you. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. This is a, a new podcast, right? Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, What's the story? What's the uh, background? Well. It's a good question. <laughs> I'm a little bit, I guess, after 15 odd years or almost 20 years of working in the industry, I feel that things are just more and more complicated as we get, get as, as the industry matures. So it's more like a, a place to talk to people who, who are doing things that are making the industry simpler, easier to use, and yeah. maybe and also to talk to people that are struggling and give them a voice and understand what's going on. That's um yeah I guess no one's ever asked me that before so, so I guess be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's yeah. a good notes yeah it's 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 a good focus yeah be aligned with what we're what we're trying to do as well yeah what you're doing it looks really cool I think it's um oh, awesome I've been having a proper look for your the whole whole ecosystem of Pika the whole uh, yes. the whole, the, 
the whole suite. There's plenty going on there. <laughs> no, it's awesome. On. Is it? Is it just you doing that, or is it? You got a whole team around you? Or? Oh God, no. Um, it's been just me for the last year. Um, and I was contracting with a company basically to kind of pay the bills while I did that, and had a, a loving wife who also supported that work. But uh, now trying to to build a business just around different services and uh making developers lives easier so it's still just me um with uh someone else helping out now uh, so two of us now wow it's amazing what you've achieved <laughs> just just on your own oh, thank you i appreciate that <laughs> no I was looking was, at... there's, yeah there's been plenty of uh throw out kind of you know throwaway work a lot of wasted time along the way but that's kind of part of it right you're, you're just exploring welcome to the podcast fred it's um awesome to have you here thank you so much yeah, for your time thanks for having me no it's great yeah maybe we could talk a bit about your your background and stuff before we get into the main the main the main stuff of this podcast, which is talking about the Pika Suite and Snowpack, which is what I, I was particularly interested in. But since I've been looking through Snowpack, I found out all these other things about the things that you're doing. So, yeah, if you could like give a bit of a bit of background and how you got into in, how you got into the industry and that kind of thing, that'd be really cool. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, that's it's what we've been doing so far is definitely like it's it's like turtles all the way down, right? There's like this, you can tell we've just been experimenting for the last year and there's kind of a lot of different artifacts of those experiments. Um, yeah, I got into programming um, pretty early in my, like just, you know, as a, as a high schooler, I think I was trying to like, the first, pro- this is so embarrassing, the first programming language I ever used was uh, Second Life, if you remember that game. Second Life, yeah. I had a scripting I, language. I, I yeah, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I could like, I think I built like a home security system that I ended up selling. Like <laughs> second bucks or whatever the in-game currency oh, was. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, but not, not as seriously as I am now. Um, yeah, I, uh, this project really started uh, out of the work I was doing at Google. So I was at Google, part of the Chrome team in like 2015, 2016. Mm. And um, specifically working on a team called Polymer. So some people might remember that project name. Yeah, um, I remember still that. Around. It, it was like, yeah, very web components focused. It was a, b- a big buzz at the time, still, I remember, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge initiative to, like, let's get a component system in, like, HTML, mm. um, which is, I think, a really a really interesting idea because it's, you know, everything that we do is divs, essentially. <laughs> um, yes. Um, you know, divs, <laughs> paragraphs, headings. Like, these are the building blocks that we still these, build these crazy complicated web apps with. So it was a very interesting project. Like, no, let's put in, like, my toolbar or my, you know, my sidebar, and that's the actual component of the, of the page. Um, what was interesting at that time is that JavaScript was also going through a similar transformation. Which was like, let's build a component system into JavaScript. Um, so, like, let's have you have this ability to like actually let the browser load dependencies and and give some structure to what was like essentially just like a scripting, um, you know, a blank slate in terms of what you could script with no kind of definition of like what a boundary is between files. Um, so that's uh, ESM, which I'm sure you've seen through kind of going through Snowpack. That's ES modules. That's like the new syntax. Um, Pico really started as a way to explore that technology. Not just like pretty common now for people to be programming with that, but what we end up doing is then kind of just passing that code through the same old tools we've been using um, that were built for that much more um, kind of wild west world where there was no module system in the browser. So we end up kind of removing all the cool parts about it as we go to deploy a site. Um, Pika and then Snowpack really became a way to explore what happens if we keep that cool, um, those all those new features, what if we keep them when you deploy to production? How does that change the way you build a website? 
Yeah, so that, that was an interesting thing about I found about after going through your Pika pages and stuff. I, I didn't really realize that the only reason we're still using for bundlers is because of, of NPM is specifically for Node, and then we're getting Node to run in the browser, basically. So that's, I think, yeah. really interesting that. And then if we can remove remove npm which i have so many issues with constantly it would be <laughs> it would be great yeah i mean yeah. so there's an interesting history to it so snowpack really came out of like it's it's always hard like you know it, it is an open source project right it's a thing that helps you do a thing which is build web apps but like mm. really it comes from a pretty zoomed out place where it's what we did was we like you know essentially tried to look back at these like um different ages of javascript you can think of it that way like Early JavaScript was early web, right? Like the script tags and people figuring it out as they went. Like if you wanted to share code, you had to like basically attach it to the window object and then like use this kind of just shared global to pull it back out later. It was like totally implicit ordering of your scripts. It was like very yes. rough. <laughs> it was chaotic. Um, and that was like kind of yeah. yeah so I, it sounds like you were doing some, some programming. Yeah, I was. I was. Like I was. Yeah. I was pulling my hair out because I couldn't understand it. It was just, <laughs> and I, I thought it was yeah. me. I thought it was me, but it, I mean, it wasn't. It was just no. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and so there was just no structure to the web at that point, um, and it was kind of up to the developer to, you know, a large company would design their own module system. Um, you know, you, you would essentially have to build in a module system and do what you were doing, like, on the code, like, wrap every file in a function call, and then you could, like, give that function call a name, and then you could load another function called by name, and that's a, now you've created like a dependency almost. Um, it was, but still super rough, super like you had to do a lot of heavy lifting yourself. But the nice part about that is what you were writing was like able to just run in the browser. You were writing code in a way that made sure it would run in the browser. So you had this really nice feedback loop like make a change, save it, refresh the browser. There's no real building in that world. Um, you know, a lot of things were lost. You know, we, a lot of the modern conveniences are, are because we do building, but that was one of the things that we lost is we kind of transitioned away from that. Um, and that's where I think you were, that point comes from, which is that really it was NPM that introduced this idea of like, wow, we can, we can, there's a million packages on NPM. Or at the time it was like, you know, thousands, there are thousands of packages. This is huge. Um, at the time it was really like, let's use a bundler to get access to that code. All this code is written for Node. Um, we can use a bundler, I feel like Browserify was kind of the first popular one, and then Webpack later um, gave us access to code that was written for Node.js, but only because it really liked Node's uh, module system. Node was like the first kind of, now we have a module system. It's CommonJS. Every file within Node uses it. So all of a sudden, for the first time, you had an ecosystem where everyone was doing the same thing, which is like bizarre that that was so rare, but really that was the first time that an entire ecosystem was reliably doing the same thing because of Node. So the second kind of age of, of the web, that as we look back, at, at least at JavaScript, is everyone following Node's conventions because at least we're all on the same page. And yeah, we all have to use a bundler to make this work on the web, but man, it's really nice when we're all on the same page, one ecosystem for everyone. Um, that, you know, for all of NPM's faults, really, really cool that we can all you know, just pull JavaScript. I can run it on the server. I can run it on the browser. Yeah, there's a lot of tooling, but like, It'd be a lot better than like having no. This is the front end ecosystem. This is the back end ecosystem. The Electron ecosystem. No, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I get annoyed by NPM just because you know you get there's so many dependencies in the system. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, and, and it's really. I mean, it's an important. I, I have a whole talk on this, so if you, if you have any show notes, it would be worth linking to. But like, really, 
what's most most frustrating to me is that there was this like kind of implicit agreement when that happened. Like, I don't think anyone intentionally made it, but like, okay, we have npm. It's this great ecosystem, but like Node was there first. So any package that's published is meant to run on Node with like zero tooling, like npm install and then run it. Um, it was very much the web like coming to this ecosystem as a secondary citizen. And I think npm. I'm sure people at npm would like disagree with that. Like, no, I'm, the web is a first class citizen, but. <laughs> If you've ever like the, the fact that we have to run Webpack at all is like totally yeah. evidence that that's not true, right? Like the assumption is that this has to work on Node, and if you want it to work on the on the browser, use a tool like Webpack. Um, and the tool essentially just like down converts it or up converts it, whatever you want to call that, into something that runs on the web. So we are not consuming as web developers things directly off of npm. We're always passing them through tooling. Yeah, um, which is just such a it's a second degree kind of lower experience. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be so bad if if that tooling was simple. I mean, oh, what an interesting <laughs> idea! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've just just recently, uh, the last few days, I mean, I've been building out the UI therapy website, and I was trying Eleventy, the static site generator, and it, I mean, it kind of works if you if you're happy just to run it natively, just how it comes out of the box. But if you want to start doing some custom, you know asset management or getting some nice SaaS going. It just, you have to write web, uh, webpack configs and they could become quite hairy. <laughs> yeah. And you need a different, yeah. one, a different one for your development environment and your production environment. It's just a bit of a mess. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I did try with, um, what's it, Parcel um, for, a, for a static site generator. It was just a purely static, just one page, you know, I'm building it, right? That works quite nicely. But, um, what I was really interested about your snowpack idea is just it just just works. It seems to just do what I want it to do, and it's all it's all native, you know, the ESM module stuff just being yeah cached in the browser. Yeah, and, and the, it's just yeah, it's that's nice. really where we where we came into this from, which is okay. Now we have this technology, this ESM, this ability to load things in the browser, and so all of a sudden that like that idea of bundling to get around this module system problem. All of a sudden we now we have the module system. Now we have a a way to run code in the browser where you can express dependencies and you know go back to now having a module system but shipping it directly to the browser, which is kind of like that. That was the problem, and then the solution was use a different module system, one that doesn't work in the browser. And now we're kind of finally at okay, now you have your cake and eat it too. You have the module system, and it runs in the browser. Perfect. Um, the problem being though, like you like you pointed out, right? Everything on npm is written for that older world. Um, so Snowpack is really a chance to like okay. You shouldn't need to use a bundler anymore. Now that we have like all the pieces are in place for you to not have to go to Webpack if you don't want to, um, or even Parcel if you don't want to. Like the browser supports it now. You can write your code now to to support this as well. Really, all we need to do is just figure out how to move these legacy dependencies into the new world. Um, but that shouldn't require sending your entire application through an application bundler that runs every time you hit save. And it's like such a you know it's a giant hammer for what is now. You know, ten years ago, that was the problem, right? My whole app won't run. Today, it's just these dependencies are old. My code will run just fine, but my dependencies. Won't. Yeah, that's um, it. That's a yeah. much smaller problem to solve. Mm. And then you, I mean, you let's take a, a step back a bit. You're you're doing this. I don't know. You're converting npm packages that aren't that don't have the ESM support into web modules which do have it. Is that and that you're doing that yeah. through the Pika registry? Is that is that right, or is it CD? I can't remember. 
Yeah, purely through your node modules directory right now. So you can think of Snowpack, um, like the, the easiest way to describe it in one sentence would be a, a, it's like a bundler for your dependencies almost. So Snowpack will take everything inside, let's say node modules slash React, every file within that, and it'll bundle it all together into just like a react.js file. So one single JavaScript file, um, it'll convert anything that's older legacy common JS into this newer ESM, right? So you can support it with an import, with an export. You can actually load things from that one single file. Um, it does that for all of your dependencies, and then it will, as a part of your dev environment, just if it ever sees you try and import React, it'll just import it from that file that it created. So you get your whole, you know, React, React DOM, Svelte, view, whatever random library you picked out of NPM. You're now just importing that as a single JavaScript file. Um, so in the browser, you actually see that JavaScript file come through the network path, um, list of files that are downloaded. And then we just, you know, we do the work to basically make sure that that will handle anything that was old in NPM up converted to this new format so that it works in a modern application. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. I, I thought that Snowpack was just using or just or being, able, being able to use packages that had been written in the modern syntax. But you, you're yeah, doing no, it. we work for everything. Everything. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Everything is a strong word. There's a yeah. lot of stuff on NPM. Everything that could run on the web, it's our goal to actually support that, and we're doing a pretty good job of it. Ah, that's awesome. And how, how, are, you, how are you doing that? Is it a, a manual process? or I mean, obviously, it's not manual every single package, but there's obviously a broad, I don't know what the word is, but, <laughs> but you, most, most of it's automatic, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so the reason I say we're a, we're a bundler for your dependencies is we really are literally using roll-up uh, behind the scenes. We are actually using a bundler internally. So what we do is we essentially, it's the exact same problem, just scoped full level down, right? So it's looking at your dependencies. And if you think of your dependencies, what are they? It's a entire, like your node modules directory. It's an entire tree of files, right? It's a whole, just it's a collection of files that you might depend on. Some of them you depend on explicitly, right? That's I import React. I'm trying to get like the kind of main React file to load. Um, and you know, same for view, same for anything else. And then that might load some dependencies of its own, right? That might require an internal file or another dependency of its own. Um, that's really similar to what bundlers are good at, which is I have an application. My application has a top level, you know, source slash index, right? That's my kind of root application JavaScript file. And then things kind of dependencies flow through that. So what a bundler will do to your app is take all of that and then pull it into the top level file so that your application runs. Um, all we're doing is we're doing the same thing. We basically give Rollup a set of files that you are directly depending on, the, the dependencies that you import directly. And then Rollup does all the work of just like pulling things into those files, bundling those dependencies into those files. So any thing that React relies on gets pulled into the React.js file. Um, any shared dependencies between maybe two of your own dependencies, anything shared, gets pulled into like kind of a common chunk. Um, it's, it's just using essentially everything that bundlers have been working on for the last 10 years, but treating the dependency tree as the application, the thing that it's bundling. It's bundling your dependency tree using the things that you rely on as the top level um, entry points. Um, what's nice is that we just get to like kind of abstract that away. So if this sounds like total nonsense, you know, you don't need to worry about that. Um, we're letting you write your application without you ever having to worry about that. And we just focus on your dependencies, which means that Unlike an application bundler where you have to rerun it every time you make a save, right? You save a file, that now has to be like rebundled and rebuilt and 
and I've worked on plenty of applications where that took like many seconds for it. You know, I would stare at that create React app, that Webpack dev server message, where it's like compiling your changes, and then for like three seconds while I waited for the kind of the front end to update that one little change I made. Because we're only bundling your dependencies, and because your dependencies you know rarely change, they really only change when you reinstall something. We only have to do that work once. We after you npm install, um, we'll take a look at your node modules directory. We'll Again, we, we bundle, we install your dependencies for the web, so they, we move them into a web modules directory. And now they, you know, they exist there. They never need to be rebuilt until you make some change to your dependencies. You can save your source files as much as you want, and we're not having to rebundle anything. Yeah, I think that's really, especially, I mean, it's really powerful, especially for, yeah, development, right? And that's, that's the goal here, isn't it? It's to have beautiful yeah. development experience, which is lacking most of the time in these other bundlers, I think. Um, but then when you actually come to deploy it, you, do we say so obviously you said you using rollup? You do do you need to use any other bundlers or is the rollup sufficient to do you know a good job at you know, so, making yeah. it work? Right. Sorry, keep going. No, no, carry on. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm oh. finished. <laughs> <laughs> no, rollup is great. Um, rollup is great. I think it's not there. It's not. I think like the most diplomatic way to say it. Rollup is great for what we're trying to do with your dependencies, right? So your dependency tree is all JavaScript. Maybe uh, like a few random CSS files, but like for the most part, it's JavaScript. Um, and it's trying to convert it to ESM, which like Rollup is all about like it's an ESM, um, a modern JavaScript bundler. So for the installing kind of use case, it's really good at that. But you can think of that as just like that's the thing powering our installer. Um, what, we let, what we let you do with that is then build a, a what we call an unbundled application. So this is an application where the default build is to ship every source file to production. Um, you know, building it individually. So if you have like JSX, that becomes JavaScript. If you have TypeScript, that becomes JavaScript. If you're using SAS, that becomes CSS. So we're not saying you don't, you know, no build tools. We're not about that. But by default, what we do is we just kind of ship it to production without bundling it really much at all. Um, now that is fine for a lot of applications, right? This kind of goes into that like. You don't really need to bundle. Um, it's this idea that it's actually a production optimization, which should be used in a lot of use cases, right? If you care about performance, if you care about, um, you know, definitely uh, SEO, um, your conversion rates, like there are all these things that performance directly ties into, where bundling will like almost always help you. Um, you can remove dead code. You can um, join files together so you're making less requests over the wire. Um, the difference, though, is that like a lot of people aren't really like building complicated things. They're building like a simple, um, simple sites, right? I, you know, I, Pika .dev is a great example. That's our, our kind of homepage. It's a catalog for different packages on npm. For a long time, we've been shipping that unbundled, right? And we're probably missing out on some performance benefit, but also, you know, it's it's just something that we haven't tackled yet, and that's fine. Um, instead of the current world where it's like, okay, the, to start out at all, I need to build out a webpack or use a really heavy like create react app or a next.js. Um, it's this idea that like you can kind of add bundling. You should be able to add bundling when you're ready to, when you want to. Like there's a reason to add it which is performance and that's something that you should do when you're ready for it. So what you can do is very easily just attach a bundler to the end of Snowpack's build. So Snowpack will build your site by default it'll be this kind of unbundled every file is represented in the final result. But then we just support a really easy hook into adding Webpack as our official supported kind of application bundler. So 
you can think of rollup as something you never really need to interact with, but then Webpack is the thing that's bundling your application. Um, so if you wanted to add your favorite Webpack plugin, you could do that. Um, you know, it's, it's relying on all the power that Webpack has been working towards over the last 10 years to bundle your application the way you're expecting it. So the end result is something that looks almost exactly like what you're shipping to production today in a Create React app or some other Webpack-based build. But with the really, really lightning fast development of not having to do all this bundling work, Every time you hit save, mm. yeah. So that's, that is interesting. And and so you're saying you're saying when you when you build a snow when you build your 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 assets through Snowpack, you have to you have to install Webpack to do that, or is it? How, how does that work? Yeah, no, totally optional. So think of Webpack, that, and this is like a huge like kind of a huge shift in thinking. Like right now, we think of Webpack as like I need to use Webpack to build an app. Um, in this new world of development where we have a module system that doesn't need Webpack, we don't need Webpack anymore. You can still use Webpack when you want it. So Webpack and Bundlers are good as a performance optimization. They combine files together. They make your site faster. That's a great use case for adding a Bundler. Um, but by default, you don't need it. You, you simply can just publish code unbundled, um, individual files being shipped directly to the browser. So in our world, it's a kind of, it's a, Reduction optimization. It's a thing you add to the final build if you want to. Um, it's a thing, and, and what's really nice about that is, right, like what is the complexity of a Webpack config? It's the fact that you're trying to basically describe the entire world of tooling in like one single configuration file. So you're not only are you describing how you resolve different things, like I import something, where does that pull it from? That's like kind of the thing number one that Rollup, or sorry, that Webpack solves is how do I resolve my imports? And thing number two is how do I build the files, right? So I have to combine that with how do I build a TypeScript file? How do I connect Babel? How do I connect this and that, that? And then three is then how do I actually output it, right? How do I actually create an optimized build taking all of this you know, unknown source code that I've had to configure myself and now I'm configuring how it gets output. You're, it's a lot of work being kind of fit into one configuration file. Um, that's, the, that's the world that exists today. Um, what Snowpack says is like, no, those are actually two totally separate concerns. Bundling is just bundling. It's taking an application and optimizing it. But at the time that we send it to Webpack in the Snowpack world, you've described your build separately from that. So you've said, every time I see a TypeScript file, I want to build it with TypeScript. Every time I see a JSX file, I want to build it with Babel. You get this really linear, really, what we've tried to do is simplify um, how you describe the build. And then what's really great about that is the bundler only sees JavaScript, CSS, HTML. Like it sees the already built app, which means there's almost zero configuration you need to do to the bundler on top of that. Oh, um, we can give you a Webpack plugin that understands JavaScript, understands HTML, and understands CSS. Mm. That's 99% of yes. apps that <laughs> end up kind of being deployed, right? Yeah. At that point, you've already handled the TypeScript, you've handled the JSX, you've run Babel, you've run SAS, you've done all the work. Um, it lets the bundling really be this simple optimization that, that can be really generic because it's just web assets at that point. There's no more TypeScript by the time bundler sees it in the Snowpack workflow. It's, it's a kind of final step. Um, and again, it's a totally optional step if you don't want to deal with that at all. Mm, I think that's I think it's pretty powerful. That's a really nice methodology. But, how, then, but then how do you... How, I mean, I've, I've looked through... I've, I've actually played around with Snowpack a bit myself. Could you explain how you... Build out your config, your your tooling. How do you? I mean, it comes built in with support for 
you know, JavaScript and CSS and that kind of thing. But yeah. if you wanted to start being more I don't know, custom, how easy is it and how can you do that? I guess an example would be, would be useful. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we try to support a lot out of the box, at least where we can. Um, so JavaScript, JSX, TypeScript, um, TSX if you're using TypeScript and a, a JSX. We try to support a lot of basic use cases um, kind of right out of the gate. Um, what we try to do then is also give you a way to extend on top of that. So I think what's a good example of, I think Vue or let's let's use Svelte, I'd say, as an example. So Svelte is a, you know, it's its own, oh God, <laughs> I don't know if I know how they would even call it. I'm going to call it its own language, which I don't think is right, but it's its own kind of, in the same way that JSX is this like thing on top of JavaScript. Um, a Svelte file is very different from like JavaScript. It has HTML in it, it has CSS, right? That doesn't really fit into a, a default thing that we could support easily. So we leave that up to you, the developer. Um, if you want to use Svelte, um, all you do is just kind of add a plugin. Um, we have a Svelte Snowpack plugin. You add it to your kind of Snowpack configuration file, which is just a simple JSON or JS file in your project. Um, and you just kind of say, like, include the Svelte plugin, and I will let that just kind of handle Svelte for me. Um, that's a bit of a kind of tricky, or I feel like I'm kind of like, it just works, <laughs> is basically <laughs> the answer. But that's because what the plugin does behind the scenes is it, attaches something to handle a view file. So, or sorry, a Svelte file, a dot mm. Svelte file. Um, what that means is that the way that our, our build pipeline works is that instead of, again, instead of having to like describe this whole world as a concept of how are we bundling these files together, we get this really linear way to describe a build, which is like, when I see a dot Svelte file, run this tool and then output JavaScript. That's a really kind of like, it's a, you can think of it like a, you know, if you like functional programming, right? It's like input is the code, the contents of the file on source and disk. And then the function is the Svelte compiler. And then the output is what I actually end up sending to the browser. Um, and there's, you, you can get a little bit more complex than that with like transforming something that's already been built. Um, you know, it, it, it becomes even more expressive than that. But at its core, it's this really simple idea of just like input, pipe through something like a transformation then output um, directly to the browser. So we ship with support for some common use cases. We let you really easily extend for your own custom needs. Um, and that, that can go pretty far. The snowpack.dev documentation site has a bunch of different recipes for how you can connect SAS, Svelte, Vue, um, a bunch of others. Yeah, I don't know. it's actually so really well, it's a really extensive documentation as I've been looking the last few days. It's, it's decent. It's really you've, you. You can see you put some work into that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of. I mean, a lot of this project is is documenting like how you can think about builds different and simpler. Um, yeah, it's. I, I'm torn because a lot of what we try to do is like if I want to use and then like fill in the blank, there should just be a plugin that you kind of add to your configuration file that that does that. So behind the scenes, we can we can put a lot of the complexity into that plugin. So the, all I need to think about is like input, plugin does the work, and then output directly to the browser. Um, so for some things, like Tailwind is another thing that we see a lot of requests for. Um, Tailwind, their official documentation uses, says to use something called post-CSS. So Tailwind being this library, right? It's, it's essentially just a huge collection of utilities uh, for CSS. Um, Post-CSS is a way to basically run your CSS through a compiler, similar to like Babel for CSS. Um, so you can connect that to um, the Snowpack and just say, whenever I see a CSS file, 
type it through PostCSS, and then output that to the browser. Um, this is, I'd say, this is something that's being actually worked on now is even simplifying this idea further where plugins are this really nice way to just kind of add support for a framework. Um, but we wanted to be like really expressive about how we think about this pipeline where we want you to have full control over like when I see a dot, let's call it um, a dot SAS file. So when I, when I see a SAS file, anything that ends with dot SCSS, um, I want to do these jobs, like these tasks. Um, this is still in progress right now. This is something we're working on this week and next week. But having a really expressive idea of like what is a pipeline is a, definitely top of mind. So not just like I want to connect a plugin and like now magically it supports SAS, but much more like I want to describe like almost like a set of plugins for, for Babel. I want to set, describe like what is the order of operations that a SAS file goes through to output to the, uh, to the browser. Actually, that's an interesting point there. The order of operations is a, it was all the building, I presume it's all async. So can you, can you pipe things into each other? Or... <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, right now, our, our, so our plugin system right now has the idea of building and transforming. So building being like, I'm taking a source file and I'm turning it into JavaScript. Right? I'm taking that app.svelte and I'm, I'm turning it into JavaScript. Um, transforming is something that happens on every file that comes through the pipeline. So think of it as like a catch-all almost. And you could use that for like, I want to minify every JavaScript file that comes. Um, so I'm not really, you know, I don't care where this file came from, right? This could have come from Svelte, React, TypeScript. Um, just when I see JavaScript at the end of the at the end of the road, I want to minify it as like kind of a final step. Um, so we're trying to support these like much more expressive use cases if you really want to get kind of into the nitty gritty of building your own plugin. Um, luckily, the the general user doesn't need to worry about this too much. Really, for a a plugin developer. Mm. And, and the plugin ecosystem is that is it quite easy to write one? Is it quite easy to, to get it onto your Create Snow app thing or? Create Snowpack app. It's, That's um, it, yeah. Yeah, we have, a, we have a good set of community built uh, plugins and templates already, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to do. The documentation is not where it needs to be. So that, that was, you can play yeah, around with that, it yourself. Yeah. That, was, that was what I was referring to earlier. It was, there, was, there, was some, there was some part I just couldn't find any examples of. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, so the snowpack.dev main documentation is... We've put a lot of time into that. Mm. There's a kind of plugins page, which is purely dedicated to plugin authors. That's a little less um, um, worked on. That's what we're working on, again, over these next two weeks as we try and really hone in on this idea of a pipeline and how a plugin connects into that. So stay tuned. Maybe even by the time this comes out, that's been worked on. But uh, yeah, for now, that is very much like, essentially, I think I just took like the TypeScript uh, definitions of each file. I'm like, here you go. Good luck. <laughs> It's, it's not intentionally vague. It's purely just there's a lot to work on. No, there's a lot, lot to do as a, a one-man vandal. Yep. You, you said you've got another, another guy working with you now, right? But, um, yeah. Yeah. Drew Powers has been an awesome um, awesome teammate on this for the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I guess, yeah, how does all this fit into the Pika suite, Pika tooling kit, toolkit? Is it, is it, is, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's all kind of independent, isn't it? Snowpack. It just does it. Doesn't need anything. Anything from Pika. But then, yeah, is yeah. there a, is there a strong link between the two? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a really kind of interesting. Here's how I've come to see Pika. Um, Pika has been this. This Pika is the project that really started all of this. This was back in I think 
December of 2018, I might have pushed like the first like Pika.dev website um, release. Um, Pika has been just kind of this like umbrella. You can think of it as like a project. You can think of it as like a, a mission statement. It's just this kind of umbrella. Like we are exploring this new technology and how it can move the web forward. Um, so from that came um, the first thing we ever worked on was a catalog. So just like purely, if I want to search npm right now as a web developer, or at least you know back in 2018, it was really hard to find a good web package, right? NPM was really node focused. You would just get like as a top result something that when you drilled into it, like, wait, this is requiring like the node crypto library or the node file system. Like everything was focused on node. So the search catalog really reflected that. It was really hard to find a good front end package. Um, like their search, just their whole ranking algorithm was, was not set up for that. Um, so if you go to pika.dev today, it's this really, really nice search engine that's really optimized for the web developer use case. You can search a package or search a term. And it's essentially filtering NPM for, filtering and ranking NPM for things that are much more web friendly, things that have less dependencies. You can see the impact it'll have on the size of your application in the search result. Um, really, really just well set up for, uh, for web developers. You can run the code in the browser, like as a, as a kind of runtime, there's like a little code editor. Um, it's just all these really nice things for web developers. That was the first sort of missing piece of the puzzle, which was like, I want to use modern technology and I can't even find the packages that are really most leveraging this on NPM. Um, from there, we started experimenting with a CICD pipeline for projects, a uh, code editor for a new registry. Like really, we've, we've kind of explored a lot of different things. Snowpack is really just one of those experiments that's really taken off. I think it's really connected with developers because it's solving such a key problem, which is like my dev environment sucks. <laughs> yes. Um, that's at least the problem that I've had in the past. No, it's um, an ongoing issue. Else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it sucks. It's way more complicated than I need it to be. It's, I'm losing time trying to figure out what this configuration for this bundler is doing. Um, so Snowpack is really just like, you can think of it as fitting under this umbrella of like how this new technology helps. And Snowpack is like, number one way it helps is it just saves you time and saves you effort. Um, so it's just been like a, you know, our most successful, our most kind of connecting to people uh, of many of the Pika projects we've tried. No, it's really, really interesting. I, I think it's, it's got, oh, it's got great potential. I think, and it's, I'll, I'll certainly be starting to use it from, from now on for new projects, so I can actually get a, a better, better taste of it. I mean, I only did some like brief experimenting, so I could, I could say, say to you, I've actually used it <laughs> rather than. <laughs> that's hey, no, that's yeah. that's all you need to do, right? Just run it once. Like, yeah, I yeah, used I used it, and then I, yeah, I was, I was trying to get. Connect it up to eleven T, and I, I got I got there in the end. Um, yeah. um, but eleven T, I said it isn't isn't so flexible. So it's, um, you have to you have to build it. Yeah. Then then eleven T takes yeah. it. So it's it's, it's extra know, steps. Yeah. I think that's that's some of the the places where we can do the most work right now is getting those integration stories with eleven D and and SAS. I think both of them have kind of really because of limitations in their in those tools themselves that we need to work around. Um, so that's. Yeah, Lemony and SAS, I'd say, are my two least favorite plugins, and we're, we're doing some work to solve those. Mm. Yeah, that was actually the a question. Other, yeah, the question. Yeah, the question was why isn't yeah, why is SAS a plugin and it's not native to Snowflake? SAS is really interesting. So I I hope one day we can get it there. Mm. Part of it's just we have to choose kind of every time we add native support for something, it's a larger uh, install for everyone. Right? That's mm. not something that everyone is is having to install and worry about. Um, SAS is interesting. SAS is like weirdly a bundler, which I don't think I didn't realize. SAS will take your partials 
So if, if you're not familiar with SAS, a partial is like this. Um, you, you might be able to describe this better. It's been a while since I used SAS, but it's like a helper that can be pulled into multiple different files. Yeah. Um, and essentially just be this like thing that any file can rely on instead of having to like rewrite the same helpers, utilities, uh, variables, and such. Yeah, that's it. You, mean, you um, have your components as partial. Oh, and partial. Oh, sorry, yeah, partials is, yeah, I know what you mean. It's not something I use so often anymore. You can you can do yeah, extend right. You extend pieces and that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. That's it. So all of these things. Interesting enough, the way SAS handles them is it will just like literally like take copy that file contents and inject it into the file that needs it. So it's like almost bundling your CSS in this weird way. So it kind of messes with our idea where every dependency is expressed as a like a link. Like like in JavaScript, right? I can save a file, make a change. And I'll only have to rebuild that one file because everyone else is just relying on that directly as an import. SAS, this, this is probably way more complicated than anyone cares about. This is, no, this this is, is me going is, on a This trend. is interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested is, in this anyway. Yeah, <laughs> SAS will basically like inject that partial into every file that requires it. So then if you ever make a change to that partial, we have no idea, like, how do we invalidate your whole application? We don't know where that got injected into ahead of time. Uh, we just end up with a weird state. It's a, it's a different model than we're used to with JavaScript. Oh, that does make sense. Yeah, I don't use partials, so. But, uh, I can so I can, then you're fine. I'm yeah, fine. Uh, just, just make, make it for me. That'd be fine. <laughs> no, that's it. Really yeah. interesting. That the, is. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to one thing about your question. I'd say the most interesting other part of Pika that kind of you asked, how does Snowpack fit into Pika? Mm. Um, looking down the road, the CDN I'd say is probably the most connected spiritually, in that the CDN is. Um, so if you haven't seen that, that's a Pika CDN. It's a way to basically load anything on npm. Mm. Um, by URL, so it's, it's every pa package. powerful thing, yeah. And and you you serve. Yeah. Is this, sorry, is it, I did read through it. It, says, it serves the browser, the correct version of the package. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So it does a few really cool things. It um, if you've ever used Unpackage, it's really similar in that you can describe you know what's Semver, you can describe kind of what range of versions do I want to hit. Mm. But what's different, what makes it special, is that a lot like Snowpack, every package is exposed as ESM, ES module. So. The problem with the ecosystem, right? We're, we're back in that world a little bit in this in this story where I have no idea what my package is exposed, right? Did they build UMD, CommonJS, ESM? There's all these different module formats that a package could be exposing. So what our CDN does is that it upconverts all of them to ESM so that you can basically do one of those import statements. It was really clean. You know, I want to import um, React from the React package. Um, I don't need to know about how React was built. I can just put that statement into my application, loading from our CDN, and we will guarantee you that it will come back as a ESM importable uh, JavaScript file. Mm. So, could you, in theory, build out your apps without using any without using Snowpack? You could just have a JavaScript file with with your imports from the, from your CDN, yes. and it would work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, there's some cool stuff. You can do it by hand. So that's that's where we've seen the most kind of, I mentioned earlier, Snowpack isn't saying like no build tooling. It's just saying like no bundling during development. So you can still use TypeScript and Babel and all that. Um, a certain set of developers are like, no, I don't want any build tooling. I want to just like write code, ship it to the browser, go to view source, and I see exactly what I wrote. It's easy to debug. Mm. Um, in that world, you can see us basically doing this work ahead of time on the CDN. You just import by URL and yeah, there's your dependency. There's no npm install in this world. There's no mm. webpack. There's no snowpack. It's just you are importing things by URL. It's a lot like what uh, Deno is doing with its sort of idea of importing things by URL. It's, it gets rid of the whole npm install step. 
No, that's really awesome. That's that is that is actually quite exciting. That's, that's, that's really cool. And then, I guess the ultimate success would be then what well, snowpack is, is, is no longer necessary. Or <laughs> yeah, we're building ourselves out of the equation. Exactly. No, there's there's some reasons why you might want to still use snowpack. So again, you're transforming your source files. Yeah. The way I think we see it going is that like snowpack should be able to leverage the CDN a lot better than it does today. And we kind of experimented with this, but I think the ecosystem just wasn't there. We weren't there, honestly, as a tool. But this idea that when I was describing how Snowpack works at the beginning of this, right, I was saying it reads files from your node modules directory and it bundles them. It does all this work to turn them into single JavaScript files. That's basically what our CDN is doing at the same time, right? So there's no reason to like duplicate that work. Snowpack could instead just pull those things directly from the CDN. So now you have your dev environment that's being built. You're handling your source code through Snowpack. Snowpack has provided these dependencies for you as you need them. You just kind of like load them from the CDN as needed. You cache them so we can kind of, you can still do that offline development that you like. Um, that's how I see Snowpack kind of going, maybe as a V3, maybe just as a kind of future thing to keep in mind. That idea of leveraging the CDN for your dependencies versus trying to like duplicate all this work. And right now you have to like, run npm install and then run snowpack. It's, mm. You're kind of doing the same thing twice there, um, which is definitely something that we've identified as, a, as weird. So that would work as in, you'd, you'd add the, the CDN imports to your JavaScript file and it would cache it into your local and you could just, is that, was that how you say it would work? I mean, this is, this is a, or, it doesn't exist, right? But, it, but how, yeah, right, how, yeah. how we are brainstorming it? it right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, even better, you could just import from React and Notepad could do that work of, oh, great, they're looking for React. I'm going to go fetch that from the CDN. So you can keep using those import by name, by package ah, that you're familiar with. I see. And Snowpack can do the, the work of, of resolving that to a place on, on the CDN. Oh, that would be really good. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be powerful. Yeah, so v, v, V3. Yeah, you heard it first. <laughs> V3, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You got a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a look at your other peak of things, and you mentioned the code editor. Is that something that's on hold? at the moment, or is that still being developed? And Yeah, that's on hold for now, only because there's just so much to do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When Snowpack really started taking off, and when the CDN kind of started taking off in relation to that, um, with Deno's launch, it really, the CDN saw like, a ton of usage through Deno and their launch, uh, because they need a way to load NPM code. So really kind of at the exact same moment, Snowpack and the CDN took off. And as a project, we just had to really reassess what we were working on. No, no, that's, um, that makes sense. No, the interesting bit of that is that, so the world where we launched the, so I'll, I'll take even a step further back. The code editor is awesome. <laughs> the code editor is this really interesting idea of tying the package development experience to the registry itself. So the code editor shipped with support for a, a whole new registry that would exist. Um, so the Pika registry, you can think of it as an alternative to NPM. And every package on the Pika registry was written using the same code editor, but really what that represented was the same dev environment. Um, so the same tooling, the same uh, test runner, the same, you didn't have to, all this configuration that NPM allows has kind of bitten the ecosystem in ass. I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. No, you can swear as much as you want. Yeah, swear. <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the problem is like, okay, how do I build a package? Well, I need to know how the main entry point of my package JSON works and the module entry point. There's now type module, which is a new node 14 thing, export maps, conditional mm. export. There's like all this configuration that goes into building a package, right? That is, anyone kind of has the control to do it themselves, which is great for individual developers, but really sucky if the 
ecosystem level, um, where different developers might do different things. And so this idea of the code editor was like, you just write the code, and we handle the configuration of the package for you. Um, and then we've done this for everyone, so you have a really consistent dev environment. Um, if some change needs to happen, we can kind of do that behind the scenes for every package. Um, we own the configuration, and you just provide the code. Um, that was the idea behind it. So it was really well tied. The editor was the way to build a package. And then we basically handled the publishing of that package to a totally new registry. It was all modern, all ESM, um, really web-focused versus being node-focused, but again, still supporting any kind of use case if we could. That was the idea there. So that really connected with people. I really love that idea still. The problem was that what we realized is like, no one actually wants to publish to a brand new registry um, yet. Um, what we saw was a lot of people wanted to publish just to NPM, right? I, I love the idea of a coding experience, but I want to just publish to NPM. Um, I want to publish it where my users already are. And so what we saw was this registry that we were building was essentially just like the Pika CDN. It was like a, we kind of duplicated our, our work. We took a step back. Like, what, why are we building two different web-focused ways to load packages? Um, I think the path that that will take, the path that I want to take at least, is the registry is really being folded into the CDN in that way. Like, it's a place to load packages in a more web-friendly world. The CDN's gotten to the point now where we can handle the existing ecosystem and any package that you publish. So all that weird work of like how I configure my package, we can kind of work around that at the CDN layer. And regardless of how you wrote your package, we'll do the work to kind of upconvert it. Um, so we see the registry idea folding into that. The code editor then, what, what happens there? Um, I'm actually not sure. Open sourcing it has been the, the main driving idea. Again, I haven't had time to work on that. But this idea of just like letting anyone use it to publish to NPM would kind of be the end goal there. Um, the thing that's been nice is we've also seen a ton of, we're not the only web editor anymore. So GitHub has this idea of workspaces that they're, I think, beta testing right now. It doesn't solve this problem, right? It's still, it's, it's essentially just like a container in the cloud, right? You still have to do all this configuration work. Mm. Components.studio is a really cool project. All right. um, it's that. basically the exact same idea, but for this NPM use case. So it's the idea of building a component in an editor. And it's all component-driven. You have your test, you have your readme. It's a visual editor right next to a code editor. Oh, is that cool? Really cool Components, project. What? Components.studio. That's our studio. I'll have a look at that. I haven't heard of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, carry it's on. It's still fairly new, but it's... No, no, no. It's, it's still fairly new, but it's a really exciting project. I think... What I would like to see is more people kind of using that while we, this is a bit of a hedge, but like until we have the resources to open source our editor, I think that's spiritually, it's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, and it's really cool to see them, them having some success there. So for anyone listening who's waiting for our editor who wants to use our editor now but can't, um, I would definitely check out components.studio. Really cool project. Mm, no, it does look interesting. I, just, I don't know anything about it, but I'll have a look at it later and I'll put, some, put it in the show notes and that sort of thing. Um, but the CDN itself, and that, that's all running in, you can use that now, right? The, yeah, CDN. totally open. Yeah. We're, we're going to do some new docs on that as well. The, the doc site is a little lacking there um, in that it's like kind of describing what it does, but with no description of how to use it. So it's a bit esoteric right now. Um, the best, honestly, the best documentation is to just go to a package in the browser. So go to like cdn.pika.dev slash react or preact. Um, in that response, it's JavaScript, but there's also a little bit of a blurb. It's a comment telling you how to use it. That until we get that better docs over the next couple of weeks, that'll that'll be the best place to find out how to use it. That's really awesome. Um, 
What else have I got here? I've covered, covered a good a good amount of stuff. You're 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 good at talking, much better than I am. So it's really, really useful. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you might be the first person who's ever told me that. Thing. No, it's, I'm I'm not I'm not a natural podcast host. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. No, you do. Oh my god, you're doing. Is this you were saying? This is the first. Yeah, this is gonna be the first episode. Uh, this, this, will, this will be the third. You'll be the third episode, but you'll be the first. Oh man, the first real guest. So yeah, I mean, oh, don't say that to your other guest. <laughs> no, it's all right. Oh. oh, did you hear that other guest? <laughs> That's my brother. Oh, so, sorry, bro. You, you, you. I love you very much, bro. But you know, you, you were, you were, you were wow. <laughs> not a real guest. Real brother, not a real guest. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll certainly edit this out so he doesn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, damn it. no, I'll leave it um, in. Just, I'll leave it in. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there are older podcasts of me getting like way too in the, in the like the nitty gritty of this, and the host being like, "Okay, so stepping back a little bit." Um, <laughs> I, I love this stuff. This stuff really gets me excited. It's like very. There's this whole future of the web that we're exploring, which I think everyone's been kind of peeking at a bit and ourselves included just speaking but this idea of relying on the browser like le- basically just letting ESM unlock all these browser features around caching around sharing resources I don't know if, if you've seen or if anyone listening has seen uh, Webpack's module federation it's like big v5 features and it's this idea of like any Webpack app should be able to share dependencies with another common Webpack app so this idea of like you bundled everything but then like Bundles can load code from other bundles uh, and share code yeah. between bundles. Really interesting idea, like really technically challenging. I'm like hats off to the people working on this. A really interesting idea. But what's really interesting about it from this ESM frame is like essentially what you're describing is the idea of giving each dependency its own URL and then letting the browser cache that, mm. which is exactly what Snowpack is just giving you for free, right? You have your web modules react.js file. So now any project on your org can just load React from that URL. And if it's ever loaded at once, it's already cached in the browser. Don't need to make that request. So what's really interesting is like because we're bundling, we lose all this context of what the browser is able to do, right? When you bundle, it's all in one file. The bundler kind of obscures it. So the browser has no idea that like, oh, this is React. Yes. I have a thousand copies of React <laughs> cached across every site along the internet. Yeah. Um, it can't see that. So it's like, great, I'll just download the bundle, I'll download the bundle, and over and over again, we download these big bundlers with code um, that we already have in the browser. Um, Module Federation is an attempt to solve that, but it's really just, it's assuming a world where we can't just let the browser do what the browser does best, which is caching. Um, if you give the browser a unique URL, the browser will see, great, you've uh, one of your you know app.yoursite.com already uses React. So now I go to you know marketingsite.yoursite.com, and I can just reuse those things over and over again across your site. Um, it's just letting the browser do caching. So all these powers that have been kind of hidden away in the browser are finally getting unlocked again through ESM. And it's just really exciting to see those pieces come together. No, it's awesome. I can see you're very, very passionate about it. And it's, it's, no, it's really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this new future and a, a simpler way of developing and simpler yes. way of, simpler tooling. And that would be, that would be a good, that would certainly, certainly be a good first step. And it seems like you're, You've made the first step for me, so we'll, hopefully, hopefully I'll, that's the goal. I'll definitely be start to use it. Um, I don't know. What, is there anything else you'd like to cover in Snowpack that I haven't asked you? Or, no, not much. Um, I, I have some stuff to plug, but that's that's about yeah, it. of course. Um, maybe I think you already touched on like new features of, of Snowpack anyway, didn't you? So 
I think that's been covered. Yeah, um, our big our big focus has been just kind of like these. You you pointed to a few of them, right? Like the eleven D integration, the SaaS. I think I mentioned. Mm. Really, like we're just trying to make sure that every user is happy with Snowpack. That's our kind of big focus right now. Um, so no one's blocked. No one's running into like, oh, this is weird. Um, that's our big focus for the next month, I'd say. Mm. Um. Yeah. How much interest have you have you I don't know, have you seen from Snowpack Two? Has it been a like a, a quite a big a big wave, or how how are you finding the response from yeah, from developers? It's been really exciting and, and humbling. Um, we just okay. I promise this is I, I rarely am just self congratulating. We just um, <laughs> yesterday got. Um, JS Nation does this open source awards at their conference, and we won the uh, productivity category. So, like, a ton of great nominees in that category. But this idea that like people see how we, you know, our big pitch is it's a really fast web development experience, right? So, you know, our claim to fame is that Snowpack can start up in less than fifty milliseconds. Which, again, if you've ever started up a Create React app or a dev environment that's based on a bundler, it's doing all this work at the start across your entire application. So, like. I've seen 30 plus second startups for, uh, for bundled applications. Um, bringing that down to 50 milliseconds, I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible. Just, if you think of how many yes. times you're starting that dev environment over and over again as you work on it at a job, at a company, on a project, um, it's a huge time saving. No, that's really awesome. I mean, yeah, I'm, 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 I gave up on Levity. I mentioned Levity before. I was yeah. going to make my uh, uritherapy.fm in Levity, but I couldn't get it to work how I wanted, so I've given up. So I've moved to Gatsby. And yeah. as you mentioned, the startup build times. I mean, I've, it's quite a simple site, mine. I've got a few, I don't know, maybe four or five pages with um, you know, a bunch of components. But it's taking thirty seconds to to start up each time. And it and, and my I've got a fast machine, and it's just this the bundling time, and they hear the fans going. It's it's yeah. Yeah, all of these things are doing so much. Like it's the catch. I don't know, catch. It's the, it's the flip side of like Gatsby, Next.js, uh, Webpack. They're all really powerful tools. Mm. The problem is that you're doing like all this powerful work at dev time, at startup, where it's like, you know, Gatsby, I, I think there's reasons they do it. But for a lot of sites, you don't need that. You, you have the code that you're trying to run and it's just like, a, you just have to get it to the browser. Turns out you don't need a bundle to do that at development time. How, how easy would it be to? Yeah, probably impossible at the moment, but to use Snowpack for something like Gatsby, would it have to be from the Gatsby team themselves to use your bundler, your inverted quotes bundler, to to you know have have I, that as a dev 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 option? I I would love to see that. Um, I think where the work is is in getting their custom Webpack configuration, which is what they use internally, um, replacing that with something like Snowpack. I don't know if that's possible to be honest. Um, the Svelte community has probably been the most excited about that idea. It's been awesome to see the, they have Sapper, I believe they're um, kind of like Next.js for Svelte. I'm sure they would hate that analogy, but <laughs> this idea of like a, a server component to run your Svelte app. Um, there's been a lot of interest in getting that playing nicely with Snowpack. I think that could be the first kind of uh, wedge into that world of more, more server-side development running through Snowpack. So, I'd say that's that's a little less explored. It's very much focused on a, a front end app right now, mm. um, but you can totally see how it, it plays well with both uh, server side and front end. Um, a lot of we've seen people try to use Snowpack or, or not try, it's just like using successfully Snowpack to compile their front end dependencies, not just to work in the web, but also by compiling to ESM, it now works in Deno. 
that'll oh, be in the TypeScript uh, yeah. ESM built uh, TypeScript environment. So this idea of upconverting to ESM, it really it's that could apply to the web. It could apply to Deno. It's anything that needs ESM that can be run on. So ICS definitely taking more and more steps uh, towards that, and especially as Node ships their ESM develop their ESM support, uh, more and more that's going to need a thing like Snowpack that takes your dependencies. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this exciting new world of simplicity definitely. and efficient bundle, efficient bundle-free world. It's going to be amazing. Well, yeah, that kind of wraps up my questions for Snowpack and Pika. Um, yeah, so I've got a few wrap-up questions, which I'm asking every guest to give the show some structure. If you could change one aspect of UI design or development in our industry, what would it be? Oh, God. Like, this question was, like, written for me, for Snowpack, but also, like, I feel like it's all I've been talking about. Um, well, so, no, I mean, out, outside of Snowpack, outside, then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the obvious, obvious answer is, you know, web development should be much simpler. Um, it should be less alienating to developers or people with even less, you know, the idea that to get started in web development today, you need to learn how Webpack works or use something that like abstracts Webpack away inside of this like thousand plus package create React app like environment. Um, I think that's a failing of our industry. Um, I think Webpack, you know, I learned web development. Probably the only reason I got into it was because it was so simple to get started up, to see your changes reflected, to kind of iterate as you go and learn as you go. So like you know, your your first website is this like garbage. CSS, Comic Sans thing, but <laughs> as you go, you can just, it's such a perfect environment for learning. Um, and I think we've lost that along the last 10 years. So no, I, I, I totally really agree see Snowpack as a, a, a step back towards that, which is really exciting to me. Mm, no, I totally agree with what, you, with you, what your sentiments are. It's just exactly how I feel. It's, 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 it needs to be going in the right direction again. It's, it's, it feels, feels like the industry is a little bit lost. And this a tool yeah. like Snowpack, for instance, it seems to be shining a bit of light on the future. So, I'm excited by it. I appreciate that. My my non self serving answer would be Tailwind's very cool. I like Tailwind. Oh really? I, I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really cool idea. I, I like the idea of utility libraries, but um, it seems it, it seems quite quite a lot quite a lot of utilities yes. in it, which is overwhelming. That's, I think that's a good point. I should caveat that for like I would never use it on anything other than like a large company project. Um, mm. It solves like big big team problems, right? Like oh god, we have like the same button defined in like a thousand different. Um, the number of times I've like had those discussions with coworkers of like, should we use a spacer component or should we use like a margin class? It's a lot like like prettier, one of those tools where it's just like, you know what, this might not be perfect, but like it's just like an answer that we can all get behind. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, it's not perfect for everything, but it is perfect for things that I've just seen a lot of time wasted on mm. in companies and large projects. No, I'm a big fan of utility libraries for things like margins and paddings and you know colors and typography and that kind of thing. That's, I think that's really powerful. But I think I've seen some examples where people are building the entire, entire UI just using Tailwind, and I think that's, that's too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, gets, it gets pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's its own, it's its own language at a certain point. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right, second one is for someone joining or is new to our industry um, and is feeling overwhelmed, what advice would you give them? Stop asking me questions that I just want to be like, Oh, you should use Snowpack. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah. I actually don't think that's the right answer. I think 
when you're feeling less overwhelmed, um, check out Snowpack as like a way to solve that same problem. But it is a, it's like that classic, like, oh, the answer to this problem of having too many tools to choose from is my tool. Mm. Um, it's like the lamest answer you can <laughs> give because it's, you know, it's yeah. like when every tool says that there's zero config or easy to use. And like at a certain point, that's not true. Um, Snowpack is definitely trying to solve that problem. But I would say even before you get to that, like I have been made fun of before for like different sites I've worked on are just like an HTML file. Um, uh, this this conference that we're working on called ESNextConf, the, the, literally the landing page itself is an HTML file. The content is written inside of paragraphs. The CSS lives you know, at the top of the file. Um, I think there is a over-reliance on like complex setups before you really, like because so much needs a complex setup, there's this idea of like, just do the work ahead of time to do that. Set up your bundler, set up your Gatsby ahead of time. But like, you can get really far with just an HTML file or several HTML files mm. um, and a little bit of copy and paste. I think 11D is actually like really great at filling the gap where it's like, I don't need Gatsby, but I've lived past the idea of just like one HTML file doing everything for me. Yeah. Um, 11D, it's, it's not perfect, but it does let you write Markdown and have that be built. And that's, you know, some basic templating. Um, I think I really like 11D as like that kind of like, if what you're trying to do is build a simple site and you're feeling overwhelmed, start with the HTML and work your way up. Grab 11D when you're kind of ready to move forward. Or if you need more JavaScript, grab something like Snowpack. That iterative development has been lost for the last 10 years, but I think you can really, using 11D and Snowpack, get back to that idea of like, I'm going to add a tool that solves a problem. If that problem is I need more pages, grab 11D. If the problem is I need more JavaScript control, grab Snowpack. And then like later on down the road, if the problem is performance, you can grab a bundler and connect it to Snowpack as that final performance optimization, not as like the end-all, be-all build tool. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I like the, the idea that, yeah, you know, if if just start with an HTML file, there's no shame in, in, in using. No, there there, there isn't. I will. <laughs> if somebody shames you for that, like, tell them to come talk to me. No, I I think <laughs> I I agree entirely. I mean, I, I've been caught in this this trap of or this guilt trap. I don't know what the word is, but you feel guilty for for doing for using basic fundamental language rather than well, you feel like a you feel like you can't build stuff if you're using HTML or CSS or yeah. just just written a JavaScript. But there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, my first, my first um, basic site for UI therapy was just HTML, HTML, CSS, and vanilla JavaScript. That's it. And now I've, yeah. I'm, I want to use write Markdown to generate pages, and I was looking at, you know, we've talked about already 11T, but I thought I'd try Gatsby because I've, because I've heard a lot about it, and I thought I'd give it a go. But um, yeah. yeah, there's just no shame in starting simple and then only adding complexity when you actually need it. I yes. think that's something that's really. I do it my, as someone who's been doing this for a long time. I still do that all the time, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I, I think it's really good. Um, finally, well, my final wrapper question would be: Is there a tool or an app or a package that you delete you believe deserves more attention than it has at the moment? <laughs> not enough. No, these no, I will not. These I, questions I aren't. I <laughs> these these questions aren't written for you, I, but they do sound like they're written for you. Oh god, that's, no, that's a. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give a really, you can cut out all this thinking time, or don't, either way. Um, no, don't worry. I want to give this answer right. Um, I mean, okay, what, the problem is that what excites me are, like, the people working on this space, which ends up being, like, kind of a step removed from most developers. So a good example of a tool is uh, ES Build. Okay, no, I can, I can, 
I will, I will, this, this, I can make this work. There are a bunch of different tools out there right now that are exploring what, where native code can fit into like web development. And I think a lot of people hear web, like native code and they think WebAssembly, they think like, okay, it's this thing that I can like run in the browser that like has been compiled from Go, maybe I, like that's a really unknown, like how do I take advantage of that? Mm, um, yeah. I'd say that's not where the excitement is, at least that I see. What, what I see right now is a ton of excitement around all these build tools that are doing a lot of really heavy lifting are still written in JavaScript. Like Webpack is written in JavaScript, Babel, Rollup, Parcel. JavaScript is an awesome language, but it's not really good at heavy lifting in that way, where it's single-threaded, so every time it tries to build or compile a file, right, it's like that blocks everything else that, that you know, it's building one at a time. So there's some really cool projects. Uh, SWC is one, but uh, ESBuild is another one that's really exciting right now, which is both of them are written, I think, in Rust and Go, respectively. But check out ESBuild and like what they're doing with performance is incredible. It's like they can build your application. It's like orders of magnitude faster than what Webpack and Babel would be doing for you today. That's so amazing. For yeah. a while, we were like, Snowpack is, it uses these in terms. So ESBuild is powering Snowpack internally. Oh, is it? For that out of the box JavaScript, TypeScript, TSX. That's our like our basic support is through this tool. Mm. And what that means is that like, you know, again, fast builds is all about is what we're all about. We can compile that every time you save a file, we can run it through ESBuild, and that build takes less than a millisecond. <laughs> um, I actually haven't I have, but you know, one to two milliseconds, maybe max. Um, because what it's doing is it's running it through this really natively, you know, native code, natively optimized. Um, project. And then if you run that across your whole entire application, right, they've done all this work to parallelize that building. So multiple threads are spinning up multiple builders at once. It's really cool. Um, all that stuff is probably more complicated than just like on its surface, the selling point is like, this is way faster than our current generation of tooling. I think we're going to more and more see these larger things where like, we still want to be able to customize. You know, I've written plenty of roll-up plugins, webpack plugins where JavaScript is a really expressive language for customizing these things. But at its core, like I have not, even someone who works on these toolings, I rarely go into the core of Rollup or the core of Webpack or the core of Babel. That's a much smaller set of people working on that. And I think letting them find a language and a, a native environment for that will only just then you know, speed up everything else that we do. Um, it's finding that balance that I think is going to be really the interesting challenge there. A native optimized core library for building and bundling and optimizing with a plugin system written in JavaScript for people to still extend it using a language they're familiar with. Mm, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it's possible. That's the thing. But yeah. either way, it's a really exciting kind of area of work that's being done right now that, you know, like magnitudes faster is, you know, what we're looking at there. If they see. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I had heard of that and I, I'd seen the, the comparisons and as you say, it was, it was orders of magnitude faster than the current best of best in class, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's really exciting. Um, it's still it's still a new project though, so if you know it is not yet at the level of a webpack where you can mm. you know, just plug it in and expect an entire web application to build. But they're they're moving really fast, which is really cool. Mm. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, that's my wrap up questions. Um, where can people find out more about you, the project, and anything else you want to share or plug or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, snowpack.dev is our main site for Snowpack, so all the documentation. Anything you might want to know about it, um, check us out there. It's got links to our, our Twitter account, our GitHub. Everything's kind of through that portal. 
Um, the What's getting me excited this month also is we are moving full steam ahead with our dev conference for next month. So ES Next Conf, heard about it. Um, if you haven't, it's a, you can tell I get very excited about like what does the future of JavaScript look like? So I went ahead and created a conference all about the future of JavaScript. Um, but we've got some really exciting speakers planned for that. Um, again, Drew Powers has been doing an awesome job organizing that where I kind of dropped the ball. So kudos to him for kind of taking the reins on that. And uh, it's going to be an awesome conference. Um, all the ticket proceeds go to COVID relief. Um, and all the speakers have a chance to kind of choose a local um, a local foundation or a you know, food bank or anything in their community. So it's really kind of trying to do what we can for, for that problem, um, especially as, you know, these numbers are, are looking worse and worse for the summer. So um, hopefully that, that has a real big impact in July when we have the conference. I think it's July. Oh, God, I shouldn't. Um, the website that I'm going to right now um, to look up the dates is esnextconf.com. Um, and it's July 13th to July 17th. So it's a full week of content. And it's all um, going to be all remote. Yeah, remote, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, all the ticket proceeds go to the, the fight against coronavirus, COVID, and, and the people affected by it. So, oh, amazing. Uh, the speaker oh. list should be released next week. I don't know when this is coming out, um, but probably by the time this comes out, that will be, uh, that will be out there. I will, I will endeavor to get this out before <laughs> your, your conference. <laughs> <laughs> if this is like the week before, then I, let me say, go, it's next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, July 13th is the week that that starts. I'm planning to launch this, launch these first three, pe first three episodes next week. So awesome. I'll get, um, it'll, it'll, it'll be out in time. Um, awesome. Anything else you want to, where, where can people get in contact with you on social media or that kind I of am, thing? I'm Fred K. Schott on Twitter. So I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. But uh, yeah, uh, Pika, if you want to follow the work that we're just doing on Snowpack and everything else, that's uh, at Pika package, Pika, P-K-G, at, uh, at Twitter. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting, and I'm really excited about what you're doing and where you're helping take the industry. It's awesome work. I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. No, thank you, and thank you, for listeners, for listening to us ramble <laughs> for about an hour. But um, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Show notes for this episode can be found at uitherapy.fm. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support this show to leave a quick rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, as it really helps other people find the show. If you have any feedback or questions for this or any other episodes, you can reach me on Twitter, at UITherapy, or I'm at Jake Hopking. Or you can send an email to show at uitherapy.fm. Thanks so much for listening to UITherapy, and I'll catch you next time. Cheerio! Cheerio!